Hey, thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, John Chesty. Just remain standing for one second. Uh, I want to read today's text, and it's, it, I always think it's cool when we can stand in the honor of reading God's Word, because God's Word really is all we need. And so I want, to, I want us to stand just to be honoring of God, and I'm not going to read two chapters, so your feet won't hurt too bad. Uh, but, but we welcome you today. If you're a first-time guest, can we welcome our guests? If you're a first-time guest, we're so excited that you're here. Uh, those of you watching online, we love you. Uh, thank you for joining us today. So let's, let's go into God's Word. In Genesis chapter 32, um, this is such an amazing text. I love this text. In verse 22 through 31, it says, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God, capture this, face to face, and yet my life was spared. We see this only a few times in scripture. Once is when Moses, would, the Bible says that Moses would go into the tent of meeting and he would meet with God face to face. Like I can't even fathom this, this experiential moment. In fact, in this text, many theologians believe that, that Jacob was wrestling with the pre-incarnate Jesus himself. That Jesus appeared to Jacob in flesh. Whether it was, a, whether it was an angel, whether it was Jesus, whether it was a representative of the, of the Lord, we don't know exactly. But we do know that Jacob's interpretation after it was, I met with God face to face. This was not a dream. And then verse 31 says, The sun rose above him as he passed Pinel, and he was limping because of his hip. And I want to talk to you today about this subject of this wrestling match that Jacob had with God and how it'll, it, it will appeal or speak to our lives today, all right? So today I want to talk to you on the subject of something has to break. Let's pray. Father, we come to you before we're seated. We stand in your presence and we acknowledge, God, that we are broken without you and that we need you, Father. So today we're going to the one place that is the only place that can truly speak to us and change us from the inside out is your word. So God, we all stand before you open vessels, ready and willing to receive a word from you today. So God, May the words that part from my mouth, may, not, may they not be my words, may they be your words, and may you speak to your people, your children today through your word. May we a, be a church who depends upon and seeks after the word of God, and that's what we go into today. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. hey, high five a couple people and be seated. Those of you watching online, you can give a high five to somebody in your living room or just air high five yourself. We're honored that you're with us today. And we pray that uh, this word blesses you and this church blesses you. So thank you for being a part of this uh, community online. We love you. We appreciate you today. I want to take you on a journey through this experience of Jacob. Before I do, I want to give you some backstory of Jacob. Many of you know this story well, but Jacob was a guy who came out of his mother's womb controlling things. Uh, his name is interpreted as heel grabber or manipulator, or conniver, a deceiver. And he, the Bible says that when he came out of his womb, he was the second born, but he came out grabbing his brother's heel. And his, it was representative of what his entire life was going to be, of him grasping to things and trying to pull himself into a position 
that he wanted to be in. And his whole life he did this. He, he tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright for a bowl of soup. Many of you remember this, this part of the story. And then he tricks his own father into giving him the firstborn's blessing because apparently his brother Esau was super hairy. And so how, how hairy do you have to be? Like his brother, his mom helped him trick the father by putting goat skin, goat hair on his ha- arms and hands. How hairy was Esau? Are you kidding me right now? His father touched goat hair and go, oh yeah, it's Esau. Holy cow. Like I thought, I thought my dad was hairy. He's got nothing. Like I can't imagine what Esau's back looked like. Can you imagine? His poor wife had to shave his back. It was a, probably a really difficult time for his wife. So he did that, and then, he, and then he leaves, he goes, he steals the birthright, he steals the blessing, he goes to his, his uncle Laban, and he was going after Rachel, but got Leah, and, and then he worked seven years for Rachel, got Leah instead, so he said, I'll work another seven years to get Rachel. I just want to break this down for you and make you aware, he spent his whole life controlling things on his own, doing what he wanted to do to get ahead of what he was trying to get ahead of. He later tricked Laban, grew a tremendous amount of wealth by getting a plan and a a scenario where he made certain goats and bred certain goats a certain way so that he could take them with him when he left. His whole life, he was living up to his name. And then this moment he comes and he's about to go and confront Esau. He leaves Laban's and he's about to go back and meet his brother. And he's afraid that his brother Esau is going to kill him. And so even in the first part of this chapter that we read, if you want to go back and read it tonight, in the beginning of chapter 32, he's terrified of what Esau is going to do to him. So he's manipulating the situation. He's like, I can control this. What I'll do is I'll send out these gifts ahead of me and I'll tear step it. I'll, I'll send out my, my concubines first and then my second favorite wife and then my first favorite wife. And then if he kills all them, I'll be safe and I'm going to do it in this order and I'll send all these gifts out. And in, in one of the verses, it says he did all this so that he could appease his brother Esau. So his whole life, he's been in this position where he's in control. He's in control. He is making sure that things are going to go the way that he wants them to be. And I don't know about you, but I've discovered in my life that God's breakthrough for my life um, is rarely the way that I think it's going to go. And in this moment, there's prayer that Jacob prays at the very first part of chapter 32, and he's praying to the Lord and asking the Lord that Esau, that his reconnection with Esau will go well. He's asking, God, I need breakthrough. I'm afraid my brother's going to kill me, and I, I need your help. But then he goes on to work as though he's not going to allow God's help. And so he's asking for this breakthrough. And I, what I want to talk to you about today is I want to unpack this message, this, this passage that we just read. Because I'm convinced that before God ever does breakthrough for us, he wants to do breakthrough in us. Even if he has to break us. Let that awkward silence marinate for just a second because nobody's too excited about that. But God wants to do this work in Jacob and he begins this process of working. And I'm, I'm convinced that God, God's eye is continually on our hearts, isn't it? Our eyes are on the outward expressions of our situation, that we need God to do this in our life, but God is way more consumed with doing something in us before he does something for us. We see this in in, in David's life, when when God is coming and he's using Samuel to identify the next king in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and it says, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at, and people look at the outward appearance, people look at things on the outside, and then it says, but the Lord looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. In fact, God later identifies David as a man after his own heart. It's a heart issue. And God comes to deal with our hearts. And what I want to do for the next few moments is I want to show you this pattern that God has all through Scripture. And if it's all through Scripture, it's in us too, guys. And God is coming after Jacob's heart. He's coming after Jacob's identity because he's about to do something really great in Jacob's life. And Jacob is actually going to become the father of the 12 tribes that become the future of the Jewish people, which us as Gentiles are a direct benefactor of. So something is happening in Jacob's heart that we need to learn from. So I'm going to do this today. I'm going to, the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to preach in a a format 
that is my absolute favorite way to preach. If you've ever listened to me preach, this, I don't do it all the time, but this is my favorite, favorite, favorite way to preach. And in seminary terms, it's called narrative expository preaching. And all that means is we're going to read a story in Scripture, and then we're going to exposit, or we're going to uh, we're going to excavate the scriptures one by one and say, what is each one of these scriptures saying to me in my life, in my situation right now? Are you ready? Okay, come on, Edmund. They're, they're quiet here. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Open your Bibles back up. Okay, maybe you didn't get to because you were standing. So go over to Genesis chapter 32, verse 22. And if you have a paper Bible, can I just give you permission to write in your Bible? You should write in your Bible. You should write all over your Bible. And there's times where I'll read, I'll open my Bible and I'm reading and something I wrote in my Bible 10 years ago ministers to me today. And so it's okay to write in your Bible. Um, you can't write on your phone, but you can make notes on your phone. Okay, so let's go back to verse 22. Let's look at the first verse. Verse 22 says, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives. I'm not going to talk about that. I'll let somebody way smarter than me excavate that part of the text he took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. So I think it's important to note, although it may not directly impl imply you're, you're not wrestling with God at the Jabbok, you're wrestling with God wherever you live. But I think it's interesting to note in this story that not only had God come to wrestle with Jacob, but not, and all, not only was that significant, but the place in which God chose to do it held symbolic representation for us today. Now, what you need to know about the word Jabbok is one that we know that it's a river. And it, the Bible says that he, it was at the ford of the Jabbok. We're going to talk about what that means later, the ford. But the Jabbok was a very, very important word. What you need to know about the Jabbok River in geographical terms, the Jabbok River is what is called a tributary river. Tributary river. And it's very simple. What a tributary river means is it means that it's a smaller river that is emptied into a greater river that it empties out into something bigger than itself. It empties out into something, and when it does so, its name changes. So geographically, where the Jabbok River is, I want to show you where it's, it, where it's at and where it empties out at. So this map behind me, you'll see this. And so this is the Jabbok River right, right where my head is. Let me move. Right here, Jabbok River. It is a tributary river that empties out into the Jordan River. The Jordan River. So... The Jabbok, here's what you need to know about the Jabbok. The Jabbok River, the definition of Jabbok is a pouring out, an emptying, a pounding, a beating down. <laughs> That's real encouraging, isn't it? So my first point, if you're taking notes, is this. God wants to empty you into something bigger. God wants to empty you into something bigger. For the Jabbok River... Geographically speaking, it is about to come to the end of itself. It is about to become something bigger than it was previously. It is about to have its name changed from the Jabbok River to the Jordan River. It's about to become something far more symbolic and far more involved in the kingdom of God. But here's the important thing to remember about the Jabbok River. Just because it changed its name doesn't mean that everything that it had been prior was for nothing. It, it was important. God didn't change the Jabbok River. He emptied it into something bigger. The Jabbok River remained. It had just become a part of something that was now called the Jordan River. This is why it was important for Jacob and why it's important for us. Jacob was about to, be, to reach the end of himself. He was about to be emptied from something small into something greater. He was about to become the father of nations. He was about to fulfill the prophecy, fulfill the word that God gave his grandfather Abraham, that you'll become the father of many nations. And he was about to become something far greater. You talk about breakthrough. God was about to do something huge in Jacob's life. And it didn't mean that all of his past... His past was jacked up. He was a controlling, he was a manipulator, he was a conniver. But God said, I'm going to keep those parts of you. I'm just going to turn them into something greater. And Jacob, your name is about to change too. I'm going to change your name from Jacob to Israel. Now what you need to know about the Jordan, 
He empties himself, he becomes emptied into something greater called the Jordan River. Now, the reason that's important is the Jordan has symbolisms through Scripture too. The, the, the Jordan River was a boundary. It was a crossing point. When the children of Israel crossed over into the Promised Land, they crossed over the Jordan River. And God was symbolically t- 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 telling Jacob, you're about to cross over, my friend. I'm going to cross you over into something greater than yourself. Uh, the Jordan River metaphorically speaking, was, was a, a symbol of spiritual rebirth and salvation. They would baptize people. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. And God was about to do this in Jacob's life. He was about to experience a rebirth. He was going to be reborn. The, 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 the Jordan River was symbolic of healing. You go and dip in the Jordan seven times and you will be healed. It was, it was a, a symbolic of healing and restoration. And, and God was doing a work in Jacob. He was going to do something. He was going to experience an inner healing. Now, what you need to know about when two rivers collide, when two rivers emerge merge together, when they come together, it is not pleasant. It's turmoil. It's currents, splashing, craziness. And Jacob is experiencing, he's wrestling with God. He's trying to control. He's trying to do what he's known that he's done his whole life is wrestle, figure it out. Put your hand to the grindstone. Just work it out. Manipulate people if you have to. Figure it out. And for the first time, he's wrestling in a place and he's experiencing this merging of two rivers and these two emotions. And Jacob was about to be emptied out. Jabok was this place of his encounter. Jabok was this place that God was going to confront him and he was going to be poured into something greater. I, I was, um, had the privilege as serving as the, the president of the King's University, the founder of King's University is Jack Hayford. Giant of a man. And I've had the uh, uh, opportunity to go and visit him from time to time in his home. And the very first time I ever went to visit him in his home, you've been to like a little old lady's house maybe, and you look around and they've collected spoons or something. And you look around like, why are there so many spoons in your house? How much yogurt do you people eat here? And you're like, whatever, whatever it is, whether it's dolls or whatever, you walk in Jack Hayford's house and it's mortar and pestles everywhere, everywhere. And I've told this story once before. I went in his office and I said, Pastor Jack, can I take something from your house to put on my desk at work to, to remind myself of you and your legacy? And he's like, yeah, take whatever you want. I'm going to leave my office and you just take whatever you want. And I took his wallet and left. No, I didn't. <laughs> I, took, I took one of his mortar and pestles. And there's hundreds of them in his office. And because he tells this story, this is why they're so impactful. The mortar and pestle is the pharmacy thing. They used to make drugs. They'd crush it in the little stone and pour it out. He tells the story about how when he was 10, God, he wanted to be a pharmacist. And God said, I'm going to use your dream to be a pharmacist as an illustration for what I want you to become in my kingdom. And he said, like a pharmacist, I'm, going, I'm challenging you to empty out your vessel. You have plans, Jack, and I'm, they're cute plans, and I appreciate your plans. But I don't want you to be a pharmacist. I want you to be something else. And before God ever calls you to do something greater, he must first empty you out. He must first turn you upside down and pour out your desires and your cravings and your wants. And he said, then he turned me right side up and he put in, he measured out all of these things that he put in me, my giftings and my talents and even my shortcomings and my failures. And God does this in us. We have giftings and talents and he puts them in this thing. And then he said, you know what he did after that, John? He took the pestle and he crushed me. And time and time again in my life, God has crushed me, crushed me up. He said, but it was all for a purpose because he emptied me out and he measured out and he crushed it up so that it, had, so that it could be poured out as medicine to a dying world. And this is the pattern. This is what God's doing in Jacob. Jacob God's like, Jacob, you got some decent plans, but they're not my plans. And so you're at the Jabok, and you're about to be emptied into something greater, something bigger than yourself. And sometimes God takes us to this place where we're wrestling with something. And our, our mentality is something's got to break here. Like, what is happening? I feel broken. My situation feels broken. Something's got to break. And sometimes what has to break isn't what you think is going to break. Let's go on. Let's, let's go to the next text. Verse 23. It says, after he had sent them across the stream... He sent over all of his possessions, verse 24, so Jacob was left alone. He had sent away from him everything he loved and everything he owned. And he, 
He sits down on the banks of the Jabbok River, completely empty. He had been poured out. Everything in which he found validation and purpose from is gone. And he is left alone with himself and his creator. And point number two, if you're taking notes, God likes being alone with you. We don't like loneliness. I'm an extrovert. Like if I'm doing something, I want to be with people. Extroverts, can I get amen? Amen. Introverts, can I get amen? Amen. This is quieter. Did you hear that? It's always quieter. (laughs) Amen. I don't want to be alone. Did you know that God likes us alone? When was the last time you were completely alone? Silence. Nothing to control, nothing to manipulate, nothing to figure out on your own. In complete isolation and completely alone. And I, I think God wanted to deal with Jacob's heart first. God wanted to deal with Jacob's heart before he dealt with Jacob's situation. God's like, we're going to figure out your situation, Jacob. We're going to figure out Esau. I got a lot I'm going to do through you, okay? But first, we have to wrestle over something. Because I need to confront your identity. I need to confront some heart issues that you have. And if you look closely enough in Scripture, it's a pretty good pattern. God likes getting people alone. He got Elijah alone in a cave. He got Moses alone at a burning bush. He got Jonah alone in the belly of a whale. He's like, I will take you to the, you better be careful. God will put you swallowed up in some belly of a whale somewhere if he's got to, to get your attention. God likes us when we're alone. So we need to embrace this, this thought, embrace this principle. God does his best work in us when we're alone. In Matthew 6, 6, it says, but when you pray, go into your room and close your door and pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done on social media will reward you. <laughs> and seek the secret place. It's the secret place, the place where you're alone, the place where nobody knows you're praying and nobody needs to know you're praying. But we're too busy trying to get people's advice and the world's advice to ever get alone with God long enough. And then we wonder why God doesn't speak to us. And God's like, well, I'm just waiting for you to get alone with me, to speak to you. Verse 24. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When you get alone with God, always remember, number three, God likes to wrestle. God likes to wrestle. When my kids were young, we used to always do this thing every evening, uh, and the kids called, I don't know where they came up with this name, but the kids called it Wrestle, Tickle, Run. I have no idea why they called it that. Probably because we wrestled, and then I would tickle them, and then they would run away. And then they'd come back, and we'd wrestle, and I'd tickle them, and they'd run away. And you know what? It was the kids' favorite thing They loved wrestling with their father. And can I tell you from my perspective, I loved wrestling with my kids. I loved wrestling with my kids. There's there's even times where we've told our daughter, listen, you're coming to an age where there's a lot of things that you're going to be confronted with. You're about to go into the world. And there's a lot of things and a lot of sexuality and a lot of questions and a lot of things you're going to want answered. And what we want you to know is this is a safe place for you to wrestle with some of those things. You don't need to Google it. Come talk to me and I'll tell you. I would rather her wrestle with me about it than wrestle with the world about it. There's a proximity. There's, so for some reason, we think that when we wrestle with God over things, we feel guilty that we're challenging God or questioning God or asking God why. God's like, bring it on. God's not insecure with your doubts. God likes to wrestle. In fact, I would say, I always heard this text preached. Every time I heard of this text preached, it was always like Jacob wrestled with God. Jacob wrestled with God. Jacob wrestled with God. But this text, I'm going to read it to you again. In verse 24, it says, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him. It doesn't say that Jacob wrestled with God. It says that God wrestled with Jacob. Have you ever stopped to think that your wrestling match with God, God might have picked that fight? You didn't shove God. God shoved you. God poked you and said, what do you think about that? 
And then you started wrestling with it. And you started having restlessness. And you started wondering. You know why God likes to wrestle? Is because when you wrestle with God, you're in proximity with God. You can't wrestle with God if you're not with God. So when I hear people saying, I'm wrestling with my faith, I'm like, that's great. This is great news. You should wrestle with your faith. You should wrestle with God. But let me remind you to wrestle with God, with God, not with the world. So if you want to wrestle with God, then go to his scriptures and wrestle with him in the place of truth. So God likes to wrestle. And I just want to remind you of this. If you're wrestling with God and you're feeling guilty over it, just, remind, just be reminded that God likes to wrestle with you. Wrestle it out. You know what God would say to you? This is a really important fight. In fact, depending on which fight you're wrestling with, it might be the main event. So it's a really important fight. God wants to fight this out with you. He wants to get in proximity with you. He wants to speak to you. And this is the difference between our fight and God's fight. Okay, watch this difference. We are Jacob in this story. Jacob was laying hold of God to get something from him. And God was laying hold of Jacob to do something in him. So when you're wrestling with God, you're wrestling with God because you need God to fulfill your needs. God is wrestling back with you because he wants to break something in you before he breaks something through for you. There's always a a heart work. So when you're wrestling with God, one of the greatest prayers you can ever pray is, God, is there anything in me that I need to get rid of? Is there anything that you're trying to say through this scenario? Is there anything, is there unforgiveness in my heart? If I wrong someone, am I, am I being deceitful? Am I being manipulative? Whatever it is, God, is there something that you're doing in me? And as I process through all the times that I've wrestled with God the most, um, I wrestle with God. I've told these stories time and time again. I wrestled with God, bloody wrestling match with God when it came to us trying to have conceived children and we couldn't. And I was brutally honest with God. And if he was going to strike anybody with lightning, he would have struck me with lightning right there. I was brutally honest with God. I wrestled with God with this church when I became the senior pastor and the hardships and the struggles and the financial, the financial woes that our church went through during a season of that time. And I wrestled with God. And as I look back on those wrestling matches now, I was never closer to God than when I wrestled with him. Those wrestling matches formed me. They shaped my faith. And those situations where I was wrestling with God had nothing to do with the predicament that I was fighting for. It had to do with God building something up in me to prepare me for the next wrestling match. I fight stronger today than I did back then, but it's because that fight made me stronger. It made me stronger. So always be reminded that God likes to fight. Let's go to verse 25. Verse 25 says, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Point number four, God doesn't just start fights, God finishes fights. So it's just a little advice, wrestle with God all you want and you should wrestle with God, but can I just tell you in advance who's gonna win this fight? I think it's interesting that, you know, it doesn't say that Jacob and God were wrestling, and Jacob was just so strong, God didn't know what else to do. So he reached down and just kicked Jacob as hard as he could in the hip, and it knocked his hip out of socket. I find it fascinating that you, the, the text describes Jacob as though Jacob is fighting with all his might, which is all Jacob knows how to do, is to be a heel grabber. And the Bible says that the man just touched Jacob's so- socket. Just a a touch. God's like, yeah, we can wrestle this out all you want. Okay, big boy, let's wrestle. I don't think God said wrestle. I think he said wrestle. Let's wrestle, Jacob. Let's wrestle this out. You know? And then all of a sudden, God said, enough's enough. Something has to break. And it took one touch. And this is the situation with the things we wrestle with God in. You can fight all you want, but it takes one touch from the Father to change everything. God wants to do something in you, and we wrestle and we wrestle, and God wants to do something great. And Jacob had this had the same mentality that he always says, I can fix this. If I just wrestle strong enough. If I Jacob was always looking for the easy way out. 
What's the simplest way? I don't want to do anything that has to deal with my problems. I just want to go around my problems and fix them for myself. And I want to really quickly backtrack to the place in which this was happening. Because remember, I talk, we talked about Jabok and what Jabok meant. But the Bible says that it happened at the ford of Jabok. And confession, I've read that verse hundreds of times, and I just thought it was that God doesn't like Chevys. So he said, ford of Jabok. I was like, maybe, I don't know, maybe... It, I don't know what a Ford is, so I'll just skip it. You know, have you ever read things in the Bible and you're like, I'll just skip it. I don't know what this means, so I'll just jump over it. So I took the time to stop and research what a Ford is. The Ford is the shallowest part of the river, the place where you can cross over with the least amount of effort. And that makes sense because he had to send his herds across and his, his, his family across and all of his possessions across. But it's symbolic that as human beings, we're always looking for the easy way out. We always want the easiest thing. And so we come to God because many times the easiest way is for God to just fix it. And God's like, I'm gonna help you, but it's not gonna be the help that you thought it was. We're gonna wrestle about this. We're gonna gonna wrestle through this some. And so this is is something that, that you should write in your notes that happened to Jacob. Whatever overpowers you shapes you. So if depression overpowers you, depression will shape you. If addiction overpowers you, then your addiction will shape you. It'll define you. If anxiety overpowers you, then guess what? Anxiety now shapes you. God overpowered Jacob by touching him in the hip. Proved once and for all, I finished the fight, Jacob. You can fight all you want, but until you let me reach your heart, I will not resolve the situations that you're wrestling with me over. And God touched him and God overpowered him. And because God overpowered him, now God will shape him. Uh, The theologian Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, it is a curious thing that whenever God uh, means to make a great man or woman, he always first breaks him into pieces. There's a part of being a believer. There's part, I know it doesn't preach well, no one shouts it down, but there's a part of being a believer that is so overwhelmed with the goodness of the Father that I don't need to strive. I can just rest as a son and know that if I need to break myself and break my pride and break my plans and break my hopes and just rest in the Father's arms, then I'm going to allow him to lead my life into whatever direction he's wanting to do. And I know y'all aren't stubborn. Like, you're not stubborn at all. At all. But Jacob was stubborn. And he had to come to the end of himself. Jacob was the Jabok. And the Jabok has to come to the end of itself before it enters into the Jordan River. And for Jacob, this was the end of himself. Something had to break. And I, you find a, a, a character in the Bible and I can lead you to the place where they came to the end of themselves. Moses came to the end of himself at a burning bush. Jonah resisted the call of God to go to Nineveh and he came to the end of himself in the belly of a well. Noah came to the end of himself and he decided to build this stupid boat even though he had never seen rain before. There's something that happens when man, mankind, comes to the end of him or herself before God takes over and starts to do a work that only he can do. And God's going to win this fight. God's going to win this fight. He loves to fight, but he will win the fight. And sometimes you don't get God's breakthrough without God's breaking. And I know it's not exciting and no one hoots and hollers about it, but it doesn't mean that it has to be painful. It, It can become painful if you're stubborn like Jacob. But all that means is I'm approaching God with a humble heart and saying, God, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Here's my life. You take it. You make plans. I'm not going to manipulate and control anything anymore. God, I'm going to let your Holy Spirit lead me and guide me. And I trust you. I trust my hands and the hands, I trust my life in the hands of the potter. So shape me and mold me into a way uh, that you want me to be. We, we, we struggle with this as humans because we want success. <laughs> God wants sacrifice. We, there's something in us that wrestles with this king, these kingdom principles because we, we always want happiness, but God always wants holiness. And we have these wrestling matches within us and, and we want to experience justice for ourselves or for other people. And, and God wants us to experience forgiveness. We want God's help. God just wants our heart. 
And for Jacob, his blessing came wrapped in a limp. He limped. He limped out of there. Uh, I think Jacob was about to experience what Paul would later write about in the book of Corinthians when, when, when Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. It doesn't say I'm going to be strong and strong and strong and strong and strong. It says, no, according to Paul, he says, in my weakness, your strength comes to its fullness. And Jacob realized really quickly when the Lord touched his hip. I've never had my hip pop out of socket, but whew, I, I'm pretty sure that wouldn't feel very good. And all of a sudden, Jacob is having to limp. All of a sudden, Jacob can do nothing on his own. He's got to lean on something to go anywhere in life. Before, he could just tramp off. I'm good, I'm good, I'm all by myself. And all of a sudden, he's having to, to lean to one side more than the other. And it's a constant reminder to Jacob is I cannot do this on my own. Something had to break to get Jacob's attention. Something that God is stirring in our hearts in these situations. Let me read you this Psalm, Psalm 51, 17. It says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. So God is seeking this. God wants us to come to him in this manner. Verse 27, let's keep going. Verse 27 says, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Well, you will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Please be reminded of this This. Uh, find encouragement in point number five. God is not breaking you. He's breaking things off of you. It does not mean that God is a mean God because he touched Jacob's hip and now he's in pain limping. He's breaking stuff off of Jacob. Jacob's a better man with a limp than he was ever without one. He's breaking some stuff off of him. God is in the business of breaking stuff off of us and he comes to confront him. So remember, names in the Bible mean something really significant. So when, the, when this angelic being asks Jacob, what is your name? God doesn't ask questions for answers. He doesn't need you to answer. If God ever asks you a question, it's not because he's curious. He wants you to think about it. So he says, Jacob, what is your name? And Jacob has to pause with and wrestle with the definition of his own name. So the definition of Jacob is deceiver, supplanter, the schemer. So he says, what is your name? And all of a sudden, Jacob is left having to confess his lifetime of deception and his lifetime of controlling and supplanting. So the word supplanter means someone or something taking the place of another through force or by scheming. So Jacob was a guy who spent his whole life trying to do things by force. Just make it happen. And in this moment, he's being forced to confess. And Jacob's confession is what brought transformation. He asked him, who are you, Jacob? Who have you been? And Jacob confesses and says, I'm a deceiver. I'm a manipulator, God. And the very next thing God said is, I'm giving you a new name. Your name will no longer be deceiver. Now your name will be Israel. Israel, one who struggles with God, one who wrestles with God. And he gives him this new identity and this new name, and, and God comes to give us a new name. I'm going to go into this in August. I'm going to in, in, enter into a series that I'm very excited about and passionate about, about identity and who we are. And time and time again through the New Testament, this, the, the story, the illustration, the emphasis is this identity transformation of us becoming sons and daughters that we are co-heirs with Christ, and now we come into this, this, this standing with the Lord. We are righteous. We're righteous. And God comes to challenge what we perceive about ourselves. And he comes to give us a new name. Verse 26, let's move on. Verse 26. It says, Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, this is really important, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Point number six, write this down. Don't let go. Don't let go. I don't know what you're wrestling with. I don't know what you're challenged by. Maybe you're wrestling with the Lord and you're at a point where you're about to just give up and let go 
and leave, leave your faith, leave your family, leave your spouse, leave your situation that you're waiting on God to break through. My challenge to you that I feel like the Holy Spirit told me to tell you two months ago that I'm bringing to you today, the gift that you're supposed to unwrap today and enjoy it is don't let go. I, I used to always read this text where Jacob says, I won't let go until you bless me. And some people are like, yeah, we should never. And there's a, there's a whole happy and rah-rah to that. My perspective was always, what an arrogant jerk. Who are you, Jacob, to demand to, to say, I'm not letting go? Like, that, that's like a temper tantrum. You know, can you imagine your kid grabbing your leg and going, I won't let go until you give me some ice cream. And then I'm like, okay, well, then let's see how good you can hang on. You know, I'm like... It just seems like a childish thing. I won't let go until you give me candy for dinner. Forget you. I'm not doing that. You know, that's the way I perceive this. But then as I looked more into this and I, I really felt like the Holy Spirit began to reveal to me a, a real purity in Jacob's heart from this perspective. Now, remember, Jacob, his whole life has been, he come out of the womb, a heel grabber. <laughs> he came out of the room out of the womb, not letting go, clinging to stuff. And he has spent his whole life clinging and manipulating and control. You know what controlling means? This means to not let go. I'm not letting go of this. I'm in control. I'm in control of the steering wheel. I'm in control. And he spent his whole life doing this. He didn't let go. He, he, he stole his brother's birthright for a bowl of soup. He tricked his father into giving him the blessing. Uh, he went to Laban and tricked Laban. He tricked, he, tricked, he tricked everybody. He worked seven years, and then he worked another seven years. He's like, I'm not letting go until I get Rachel. I'll work 20 years if I have to, whatever it takes. He just, he had life by the horns, and he wasn't letting go. And then I felt as though the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear as I was reading this passage, for the first time in his whole life, he was finally clinging to the right thing. For the first time ever, he was saying, God, I will not let go of you. And some of you are wrestling with God. Some of you are wrestling with a predicament and a situation in your life. My challenge to you is to release control of the situation and grab hold of God. And don't let go of God. Don't let go of God. Let God control. Let God figure out your situation. Let him do a work that only he can do. Let God do a work in you. And you say, God, I will not let go of you until you do a work in me. I want to close this way today. If you would, just stand to your feet with me. We're, we're not done yet. I... Uh, I gave a lot of margin, so don't leave on me. Usually I preach way longer than this. Today, I want to, as best I can in a full room with, you know, many, many hundreds of people in this room and at Edmond, I want to give as much space as I possibly can for you to be alone. I want you to be alone with the Lord. And some of you are in a situation where something has to break, like, you understand that definition of that word for yourself. Something has to happen here. Something's got to break. I, you have a situation, you have a scenario of something that's happening and you don't know what to do with it. And so I, I want to do something kind of old-fashioned uh, that we don't do in church a lot anymore, but I want to do it today. We do it from time to time here at Victory Church. I want to have an old-fashioned old altar call. And I, I, want, I want to invite people in the room and at the Edmond campus that if you're here and you say, something's got to break, I want to pray for you. I, I want to step off the stage and walk around and lay hands on you. I want to believe that God can do something miraculous. Yes, for you. Yeah, 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 for you. I want to believe greater that God can do something in you, that God can break some stuff off of you today. And I, I'm so passionate about this because God began giving me this word months ago. And I believe to the core of my heart that God's going to break some stuff off some people today. I've been praying over this day for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And so if you're here, you're at the Oklahoma City campus and, and something feels broken in you, it does not mean something's wrong with you. It means that there's a scenario around you 
that something's got to break. Like something's got something's to change in me, in my marriage, in my finances, in my career, in my life. I've just reached this point where, God, I need you to do a work in me. If you got to do it in me, great. I just need you to, to, to do something for me and in me. If that's you or here at the Edmond campus, I can promise you, you won't be the only one. The nine o'clock this altar was packed. On the count of three, I just want you to come down. Ready? One, two, three. Just leave your seat and start marching. Come on, don't wait. Don't wait to see who else is going. Something's got to break. Just move. Just move. Pack it in tight. Pack it in tight. There's going to be a lot of people coming. Edmond campus, people are coming down. I want to I talk to the person. There's always somebody in the room that's just like, well, you know, I don't want my spouse to see me. I don't want my kids to see me. I don't want anybody to think anything's wrong with you. Can I tell you something? We all already know something's wrong with you. So you should just, just come. Just come. Come on, there's something stirring in your belly and you're like, well, I should, I shouldn't. Just come. Stop. Stop waiting. There's a few. There they come. Okay, just come. Just come. Edmund Campus, just come. Here's, here's what I want us to do. I want everybody here in the, at the Edmund Campus, will you close your eyes for a second? Okay, now, you're alone. You're alone. I know you're not alone physically because there's people to your left and to your right but make yourself available in this moment. You are alone. Just as Jacob, he said, he said he sent out all of his possessions in front of him. He sent out all of his family. I want you, everything that's in your control, in your mind, I want you to send it out in front of you. This situation that you don't know how to fix, stop it and just send it out in front of you. Let it cross the Jabbok in front of you. Send it across and now find yourself alone again. And here's what I wanna speak over you, okay? I'm gonna pray over you in just a moment, but here's what I wanna speak over you first. You are about to become at the end of something. This is the end of something. It might be the end of something that you've carried in your heart. It might be bitterness, it might be unforgiveness. It might be a hatred or a, an offense that you've held towards somebody else. It might, might be your situation, it might be confusion, it might be an inner work, an abuse. Maybe you were abused as a child and you've carried pain, you've carried heartache, you've carried stuff with you. What the Lord, whew, whew, the Holy Spirit says, today I empty you out into something greater than yourself. And I give you a new identity Your Jabbok is behind you and the Jordan River lays before you. Release yourself to be emptied into this river. This river is feel, filled with healing. This river is filled with new identity. It's filled with rebirth. It's filled with new borders and new boundaries for God and what he wants to do in, in your life. Come on, lift your hands to the sky. Receive this word. Say, Lord, I receive this word. I receive what you have to say to me. Something's got to break today, God. Something's got to break today. We're going to lift our voice in just a minute. We're going to sing. Something's got to break. Come on, the Holy Spirit is in this room. He's going to move. God, when you have your way, something has to break. Something has to break. If you need to break me, break something off of me today. Today, we submit ourselves to you. Today, we give you control. God, I believe you're going to lead me through it. I believe you're going to lead me to it. Come on, just begin to lift your voice. Come on, let's worship. Let's worship. God, we lift our voice to you. Something has to break. Let's go. Something has to break. We lift your voice. I believe you lead me through it. I believe you get me to it. I believe that you will do it right now. Something has
So let me, don't leave, don't, don't, don't leave where you're at. Let me preach one more point to you because my sermon's not over yet. I can't finish with six because six is the number of man. I got a seventh point. Seven is the number in the Bible that, that, that means perfection. So let me give you a seventh point, okay? So let's look, at, let's look at the last verse, verse 31. It says, and the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, which is good news, the sun rose. The darkness went away. The night, the struggle, the wrestling, the sun rose in the east, it always does. And it came, and then it says this, and he was limping because of his hip. I thought that like God would do this amazing work in him, and he just broke his hip to get his attention. And then once he got his attention and he, and he got what God was saying, he's like, okay, now I'll heal it. But the Bible says he walked out of there with his limp. And it doesn't give us the severity of the limp, but I promise you, I've never had my hip pop out of socket. But there's some doctors in the room who could, that could describe that pain. So I promise you, he was leaning pretty hard. This is my seventh and final point, is that God likes you with a limp. It's okay to have a limp. We prop ourselves up and think, well, I gotta put myself all together. I'm coming to church today and I gotta be perfect. I got a bit, well, I messed up yesterday and now I'm ashamed, so I can't, I'm, a, I'm not accepted anymore. I'm, I'm condemned. I can't go to church. I fell off the wagon. I messed up. I, I, I made a mistake. God likes you better with your limp. When you try to do it without God, you look pretty, but you destroy your life. So God likes us with a limp because when we limp, we must lean. You cannot limp. <laughs> you cannot limp without leaning. Even if I don't have a cane, I got to lean on my good leg. And when, you, when we walk with a limp, God is saying, I like you better with a limp because when you're limping, you're leaning on me. And when you're leaning on me, you're stronger than you could ever be walking out on your own. So lean into this limp. Lean into this limp. I was praying for somebody a while ago and I, I felt a word and I think it's for all of us. I begin to talk about this river that your Jabok is behind you and your Jordan is before you. And our question may be, well, I don't deserve the Jordan. My Jabok holds me back and 
the Jordan is this beautiful river in Scripture that all of these amazing miracles happen and all this amazing symbolism happen. And I'm, I'm a broken person. I don't deserve the Jordan. And so what we tend to do is we, we tend to prop ourselves up. Well, I better straighten up then. I better, I better get my act together. If I'm going to the Jordan River, I better put on my best swimsuit. Because do you know how, you, how you'll make your way into the Jordan River? I'm reminded of the, in the book of Ezekiel where it talks about this river. And it says that it waded out and they were ankle deep. And then it waded out and it was knee deep. And then it waded out and it was waist deep. And then I let the river take me. And I got in over my head. <laughs> and I let the river just wash me and take me. God wants to take you to a new place. He wants to empty you of yourself. He wants to give you a better name and a greater name and do greater things. He wants you to come to the end of yourself and the beginning of your new self. And we, in our human minds, we just can't help but think, well, then how do I do this, God? How do I, is there a book I got to read? Is there, yeah, there is one, the Bible. But is there like a, a, a just, just lean back. Lean back. Have you ever tried to stand up in a river that's really pushing you and then you just decide to just let it take you? Just let the Lord take you. Come on, I, I, I speak this over you. Father, will you let us rest and know that we don't have to strive to produce fruit? All we have to do is wrestle with you and be in proximity of you. And Jesus said, if we'll remain in the vine, then you'll remain in us, God. So our only thing that we must do is stay in the river. Stay in the river. May your spirit sweep over us in this room, God. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.